Hi, and welcome to Forest of the Future, the podcast series where we talk about what is evolving in an FSC and around FSC and what innovations are underway. Today, we'll see a bit of a special episode for two reasons. First of all, because it was a live recorded episode at the FSC event, would you find it in Brussels on April 25th, 2023? And then secondly, because it's actually the final of three episodes based on the content of the day. At the event, we had policymakers, NGOs, companies, voluntary sustainability standards, representatives from producing countries, the EU competent authorities, the forest sectors, and journalists meet each other to learn, discover, debate, and also imagine a world together in which we know exactly where every single piece of wood and paper comes from. The event was built around a brand new piece of EU legislation, the European Deforestation Regulation, or most of us will probably know it by now as EUDR. If you don't know what the legislation is by now, I urge you to pause here and go back to episode 57, where the EU Commission representative Esli Lelfoul and FSC CIO Michael Maroos set the scene. And you could also then listen to episode 58, where we focus on how we might solve implementation and compliance through tools and platforms. In this final episode of the three, we will dive into what is the effect of the new legislation potentially on smallholders and communities around the world. This was done by a panel of, I would have to say, true experts in their fields. On the panel, we have representatives from FERN, from the EU Commission, from Solidaridad, and for the Organization of African, Caribbean and Pacific States. And you'll also get to hear from FSC's CEO, Kim Carstensen, when he wraps up all of the learnings from today. The session was moderated by Miriam Zadi, and I'm happy in her intro of the panel to hear that I am not the only one struggling with pronunciations of names in foreign languages. Take it away, Miriam. Now it's time for the kind of complimentary part of today's conversation. The last session, um, which we're having just now, is devoted to geolocation and the the supply side measures to complement UDR. Now UDR, as many of you have pointed out throughout the day, triggers many challenges um, for the actors involved in the supply chains affected by the new legislation. So we're going to zero in on supply, the effect of geolocation on producing countries. So it's great to have a shipping on here on the panel and how forest stewards, the smallholders, can also benefit from geolocation. So first of all, we have Alexandra Benjamin. She's a forest governance campaigner at FERN. We have Aurelie uh, Godefroy, if I pronounce that correctly, from DG Inpa. She's a deputy head of UNIT. We have Gert van der, and I can't pronounce the last part... There we go. I knew I wouldn't do it. Um, Senior EU policy advisor at Soledad. And then we have Ishipion Joaquin Oliveira Gomez, um, the Assistant Secretary General, Sustainable Economic Transformation and Trade at the Organization of African, Caribbean and Pacific States. Lovely to have you all here. So we start with Alexandra for sort of opening remarks. So it's the end of the day. I hope there's energy in the room for this. (laughs) Drinks are after, so that's the good motivation. So uh, again, my name is Alexandra Benjamin. I work at FERN and at FERN, I specifically focus on strengthening and opening up space for civil society um, within four 
workforce governance, uh, development aid, and trade um, policies and processes. And today I'm here to really speak about this geolocation requirement and how it relates to forest stewards within partnerships and also what can be learned from past experience when it comes to voluntary partnership agreements flecked so that these forest stewards benefit from the EU deforestation regulation. So some of you may know that Fern was one of the actors that strongly pushed for this regulation from the start. We warmly welcome it. However, there are parts that need to be strengthened to ensure that it is a success. Um, so today speakers have highlighted that the regulation needs to be connected to regulatory frameworks. I heard that on a, a lot of panels. And indeed, one of the ways that we could strengthen the regulation is by incorporating more lessons learned from other regulatory processes, such as voluntary partnership agreement um, agreements that are happening in producer countries. And in these producer countries, there are already traceability systems. Uh, we just heard from someone from Brazil talking about theirs. And in voluntary partnership agreements, one of the main parts of it is creating timber traceability systems. And within these systems, it includes location-specific information, which can really complement the regulation. And the systems themselves, especially when they're transparent and accurate, are really essential tools for society, um, for civil society, and to hold businesses and governments to account. Also for local communities, for the people who live within forests. And the regulation already mentions recognizing these transparent national monitoring systems within the benchmarking article as tools to understand risk um, and for operators so that it's really important basically for the EU to support producer countries to strengthen the systems that are already there. So we have one in Brazil, we have some in VPA countries, and the EU should really continue to strengthen these systems to ensure that they're transparent and that they're strong. Fern's partners have also been calling for the EU's satellite monitoring system to be publicly available, accessible, and transparent. It is really vital to ensure that this system is accessible and transparent and that we also support independent forest monitors and forest stewards to see this information, collect uh, monitoring reports, in order to enable them to put forward substantiated concerns and advocate for benefits from logging to go to forest peoples. Yet again, traceability systems and satellite imagery are really incredible tools. I don't want to diminish them. Um, they're tools in the toolbox, but there really is a need to go out and ground truth. And what that means is independently verify the information because we need to know what is coffee, what is cocoa, what is timber, what is degradation, and what is forest um, deforestation. So the second part of my intro is really about partnerships. And I just really want to say this is a foundational and essential part of the regulation in order to make sure that this geolocation and other requirements really benefit forest stewards and people and don't negatively impact them. So we really welcome the EU's commitment to develop a strategic framework. We've heard that they're doing so um, and to make clear how existing work in producer countries fits together with the new work linked to the regulation. I really want to underline that without strong incentives, these partnerships are unlikely to have a game-changing effect for stewards and peoples. The incentives really need to be there and our partners from producer countries welcome the legislation and want genuine to 
two-way partnerships that they can have with the EU and that are connected to other regulatory processes. However, our partners are also deeply worried about all the issues that I've just mentioned and what the impact of these requirements could be on forest peoples, smallholders alike. So indeed, I'm not Chantal Marinetsen, a really good friend, the deputy head of Unity NIMPA, and uh, I have the pleasure to be on this panel to also present what we are doing on our side, especially to support partner countries. We have uh, the big policy framework is a Green Deal, and you are aware this is a very ambitious uh, policy where we have targets in terms of uh, climate neutrality, in terms of halting and reversing biodiversity loss, and also tackling pollution. And to implement the, this Green Deal, we have a series of policies that have been put in place. And you see that despite COVID and the war of aggression against Ukraine, this commission keeps on putting new pieces of policies and regulation on the table to implement those ambitions. This is, And this translates, of course, on you being willing to be seen as the model or the leader in this green transition. But of course, we cannot do it alone. This has no sense. And so this is why we have committed to support our partner countries in, in doing this global societal and economic transition. And for that, we have put aside funds. Um, about 35% of our funds will support the climate transition. And we have pledged 7 billion uh, for this uh, period, so beginning from 2021 until 2025, to support partner countries uh, to tackle biodiversity loss. So one of the important tools or offer that we've put on the table for uh, our partner countries were uh, the forest partnerships. Mm -hmm. uh, you may have heard about them. We signed uh, five of them uh, last year uh, at the COP. And uh, those forest partnerships are actually based on this idea that we have to work in partnership with countries and define jointly what we want to do. It's basically to protect, restore and sustainably manage forests. And for the countries um, that want to engage in that, we, we define actions. I'm glad that my uh, co-panelist from FERN also mentioned the VPAs. This remains a very important tool. Uh, we're happy that you support it because uh, the approach is very inclusive. As you mentioned, it's a very important tool for ensuring the, the legality, uh, the traceability system, the, the good governance, which is still the basis, and of course participation. I also want to mention all the work we are doing under the um, agriculture because again, this is a key sector. And we have also about 2.5 billion uh, in grants available for the 2021-2024 period. And for that, we work with partner countries on uh, agroecology, for example, on building more sustainable value chains. The deforestation regulation is, of course, a, a challenge. What we try to do, you mentioned the comprehensive framework, is also to join forces with our EU member states because it's not only the response from Commission, it, it's really putting together all the tools that uh, EU plus uh, member states have uh, at their disposal to support uh, partner countries on all the aspects uh, that they will need to, to deliver. So we are putting in place a, a Team Europe initiative to, to increase our impact and our support to partner countries. And we will also have a, a specific program that will pilot the implementation of the regulation in, a, a, in targeted countries, the one which are the most affected, so that we can really look in details, because of course we have to look country by country, uh, on the impact and how this impact could be mitigated, or at least, of course, that they would have positive benefits for nature and for the populations. Thank you. Okay, thank you so much. Over to Gert. Uh, my name is Gert van der Bijl. I work for Solidaridad. We are an uh, international development organization working in 
almost all sectors uh, that are involved in the EUTR. I work with uh, around 1,000 colleagues in 40 countries that work with farmers and producers to improve sustainability of production. Uh, and we usually do that together with the private sector. Well, I've been asked to say a few things about uh, the impact of smallholders and how the EUDR can have positive impacts on the ground. Uh, and I'm really happy to start uh, with uh, uh, talking about people, because in the end, if we really want to reduce deforestation, it's not only about trees, but in the end, it's about people. But I think it's important to realize that this EUDR is part of a broader development that we see where legislation is being developed that is asking companies to take responsibility for what is happening in the supply chain. And this EUDR is only one of those. It's important to realize that there is a broader movement ongoing that companies not only are asked to be legal compliant, but take responsibility for what is happening in the supply chain. And if we then talk about responsibility in the supply chain of, of uh, deforestation-related commodities, smallholders are a very important part of those supply chains. But then we need to be aware of what the, uh, the consequences are and we need to act on that. And I think that's a responsibility for the, the uh, European governments. Uh, my neighbor has said uh, things about that. And it's also, I think, a responsibility for companies uh, around here. And if we talk about the negative consequences it may have, then there is a risk that in certain sectors, smallholders will be excluded. And I think the geolocation requirement is only part of the difficulties. Uh, uh, as said was by Joanna this morning, the real difficulty for a lot of sectors is for smallholders is uh, the, the traffic of the geolocation requirements. Certainly in, in sectors like coffee or rubber where there are a lot of middlemen uh, and where there are op opaque structures, I think there it will be really difficult to ensure that smallholders remain included and there is a risk that if there are costs, that they will be passed down to smallholders. But I think there are also ways to avoid that and to act on that. But then it's important that we are very clearly aware of what the consequences of the regulation are. And that will differ from country to country, that will differ from sector to sector. Last year, together with 50 NGOs, both from the Global North and South, we wrote a letter to the European policymakers asking to do an assessment on the impact of smallholders in advance to be able to act on that. Unfortunately, this has not been done. And what we now see is that there are scattered uh, activities, a bit of work in Ghana. We are doing work ourselves in Peru to understand what the, what the consequences are. But I think there is still possibility to do that in a coordinated and concerted way. And I, I hope that member states uh, and the European Commission can play a role there. As the regulation is now uh, formulated, the evaluation on the impact of smallholders will be done after five years. Yeah, I think after five years, there's no... Uh, doesn't make sense to do it anymore because then the impacts have been there. And the impacts can be positive, but that does require 
uh, action to support smallholders, uh, to provide them with knowledge, to ensure that cooperatives uh, are better organized so that they can actually continue providing uh, companies in the different sectors that are supplying to Europe. It also uh, is something that is a responsibility of the companies. Because in the end, if you want to work with your suppliers on sustainability, it comes back to collaboration and also looking into your own purchasing practices and to, ens and to ensure that your suppliers are able to meet the requirements. I think there is very little time to really start working on, on collaboration. What I think is really needed is a, uh, on a very short term that the European Commission, together with member states, it is mentioned in Article 28 that they will do this together, work with producing countries in, in, in a concerted way to address also the root causes of deforestation, which is poverty, which is an agricultural sector that needs to be transformed towards sustainability. And I think uh, we should not wait until the uh, requirements uh, uh, are uh, introduced after 18 months, but uh, start tomorrow designing uh, a strategic framework, uh, as is uh, said in Article 28, but also actually work with the group of 10, 15 producing countries that are involved here uh, and work together in addressing the root causes and working with them in ensuring that smallholders are really enabled to meet the requirements. Thank you. I'm really proud to be here today. I am from the Organization of African, Caribbean and Pacific States. We were created in 1975 uh, through the Georgetown Agreement and we have, um, nowadays we group uh, 79 member states from Africa, the Caribbean where I'm from, and from the Pacific. And since we were created, we have the privilege of working with the European Union in a very good partnership uh, through Yaoundé Conventions, Lomé Conventions, Cotonou, and now post Cotonou. And... Uh, like with my wife, I have three kids with her. I don't always agree with what we do. And in this specific case, we would have preferred that this regulation, and in fact, the whole Green Deal regulations, because I asked Gert, uh, I'm working really a lot in the corporate due diligence one. We would have preferred that we would have had preliminary discussions before. We have been able, at least there has been dialogue, a lot of dialogue. When, when it started, because when it started, when I arrived in Belgium in 2020, I, I remember that the cutoff date for deforestation was 2010, if I am, and that would have been impossible to do. If for our countries, it would have been impossible, really, to have as, as a cutoff date 2010. Then it, now it's December 2020. I would have preferred, honestly, January 2022. But something that I, I, that I want to assure all of you is that my people love their forests, they love their rivers, they love their seas, and they love their children. Nevertheless, if somebody has to send her, their child to work in a farm, if somebody has to cut a forest to plant a tree, it's because they are hungry. I come from Dominican Republic, and I worked a lot in Haiti. And you have not seen poverty until you have been to Haiti. Another thing that we want to guarantee is a fair price for the products that we produce. We are really afraid that this, all of these rules, uh, also the corporate res uh, responsibility due diligence one, that the cost of, of traceability is borne by the farmer. In wood, it's much more advanced, and in wood you have already systems in place, and it was good. So uh, for us, really, 
we are really afraid that you business people pass the cost of traceability to the to to our farmers and uh, like somebody famous said i have a dream my dream is that tomorrow farming and mining in my countries is not synonymous to extreme poverty which is the case today uh, so what we're really trying to to work with the commission is to ensure that our people have sufficient time and resources to abide by the rules uh, there's been a, a good package given by the commission but the needs are so big we do recognize that it is important and maybe hopefully the regulation will have the effect that we will stop deforestation that tomorrow children don't have to work and other things like that but it, it will take a coordinated effort i'm really happy in fact i should have started by that to thank the forest should council to inviting us because it for us is good to have this platform to hear people to listen to all of you because i think at the end of the day even if we don't always agree with the commission on the way to go we always have the same objective and it has been a good partnership and i do believe that we continue that way and and some of the challenges that that really we want to do is to ensure that small economies like salomon islands and togo we did a study and we were there we thought that maybe some of these countries will just stop selling to the european union and go to other markets is that what we want uh, that is not necessary. So we have to take care of the poorest of the poor because compliance will be if everything is in place, if you already have geolocation in the country, if every single farm is geolocated, is perfect, it's not that difficult to go. But if you have nothing in a lot of our countries, land ownership is a big deal. Nobody knows who that plot of land belongs to. How can you go into geolocation and traceability and even if that land is not done? So when we went to Uganda again with the Commission and, and the International Trade Center, we talked to cooperatives and they were a little bit lost. It's difficult for them to abide by this, but we will, because we have to be positive. Another question that I wanted to ask is countries like Gabon. Gabon has 86% forest cover. Does that mean that Gabon will not be able to develop agriculture tomorrow? That is unfair. Our people also use wood to heat to eat their food, it's a case of hate. And, eat, yeah. and other countries, you have to teach people not to use small wood or big wood just to eat, just to cook their meals. So introduction of gas, introduction yeah. of efficient stoves and things like that is very important. So we're getting a bunch of regulations and we're really afraid of it. Nevertheless, with, I would say with God's help, with the European Commission help and we, with your help, we will make it happen and let's go and let's make things happen and let's fight poverty together. Exactly. <laughs> No, I actually agree with a lot of the point you, you just uh, mentioned, maybe to, to remind you that uh, so DG International Partnership, the main mission for us is to fight poverty. Huh? This is really what we've been doing uh, since we exist. And so we are the SDGs are our Bible. Um, but it's true that with this new commission, you know, the commission of the president have been setting this green deal. This is why I mention it. It's the first time that uh, the European Commission is so engaged in the green agenda for obvious reasons that I think most of us we share. And I think we can be proud about that. But indeed, as SDG INPA, we really have uh, the mandate to, to keep this uh, fighting poverty at the core. Huh? This is why I mentioned the forest partnership are really about um, really 
protecting nature and people. It's about engaging with the most vulnerable. It's about involving the, the beneficiaries. It's about creating jobs. So we always look at the different pillars of the SDGs. Uh, regarding the deforestation regulation, uh, a few of you mentioned the issue of impact, huh? and this is indeed key. It was also a big issue for us, I have to admit, because they, they've, we've done a, DG, DG Environment has done an impact assessment before uh, preparing the regulation. This is a normal procedure, but it was very difficult to do the impact assessment at this stage because, of course, uh, we were not even sure what would be the commodities. And, uh, and you mentioned it from one commodity to another. It's a totally different story. And so we've been trying to, to complement this um, impact assessment by, by further studies and engaging with our delegation to better understand the impact, engaging with partners, including, of, of course, you, uh, to collect feedback and, and to learn more. So this is an ongoing process, and I think we still have a lot to learn on, on impact and to accompany this impact. And this is why I was mentioning some of our programs and the, the pilot one that we will run now. To, to go more in detail in specificities, and this is linked to what you was presented this morning, the benchmarking exercise and the due diligence exercise that uh, will help us to better know what are the requirements and how we can accompany a partner country. So this will take time. Um, and uh, it's true that the um, impact assessment on the small orders come quite late. Uh, maybe we should have done it uh, a bit before, but but we still believe that all this will take a lot of time to be put in place. I think it's important to stress that the importance of an impact assessment is not as such to know what the impact is. The importance of an impact assessment is to be able to act on it and, and to be able to uh, introduce measures to ensure that the impact, if they could be negative, are mitigated or that the impact will be positive. Yeah, I and I think agree. that really requires an organized activity and to say, well, we want to have on the 1st of December this year an overview of the impact, what the impacts are in the different countries, and then we are going to act on it. And, and I think that is what is really needed. For sure, we need to know what will be the impact to be able to act upon it. That's, that's for sure. On fair price, I fully agree, and you mentioned the Cocoa Talk, and the, the objective of the Cocoa Talk was exactly that. It was not only to clean the supply chain, but to look at decent job and good price. So that was the core of the, of the dialogue, and we, we want to keep that. On the risk, I fully agree with you. Uh, the risk um, link, of course, to, to land issues, but of course the, the, the fact that maybe some of the country will decide not to do business with us anymore. So that's a risk. So that's why we are also engaging, for example, with China or big players or the US uh, to look at um, if our regulation can inspire them. We know that this is the case for the US. It has been the case for China on a lot of files huh, in the past, so we hope that this uh, this can be also encouraging other big players. You really think you can inspire China? Oh, but it, yeah. it has been the case on a lot of okay. files, huh? yeah, on energy, on cars, on, uh, so we, we, have, uh, <laughs> we hope they, they will, uh, and we have a dialogue with them. Let's say on Gabon. Gabon is a good example. Indeed, uh, we um, participated to this Gabon summit, forest summit, a uh, big leader in protecting forests, and we fully understand 
their um, their needs and also the fact that they would like to benefit for the fact that they've been protecting their forest and so we are also engaged with uh, with friends for example on this um, global financing summit that will take place in june you might be aware about that it's very interesting because it's about uh, mobilizing additional finance from market-based instruments to support nature and for example biodiversity credits and uh, and this would be great if we managed to set up this because it would generate funds for countries that are uh, protecting nature and those funds would of course help to support the most vulnerable populations uh, and you mentioned of course um, food and um, clean cooking two very important uh, causes of deforestation and of course uh, we are a very big actor in, in the food system but we try to uh, create sustainable food practices because this is a way to go, there's no other way. And also we, we support clean cooking so we have a program, so for example part of our forest partnerships cover um, a limitation of the use of charcoal to find alternatives. I, I just want to come to the issue of leakage because this has been coming a lot up in so many different countries that I've been speaking to. I was just in Ghana and we were talking about their trends in trade. And you can see 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago, the European Union had a lot more than it does now and it's very negligible now and much more is going to India, China, etc. And so when I presented them this regulation, they said, well, who cares? We don't import the, to them anyways. And what they're really excited about is they've created this coalition of voluntary partnership agreement countries um, called Broader Market Recognition, where they're looking at strengthening their traceability systems and getting more recognition in other countries so that these, these timber traceability systems have more incentives. So I just wanted to, to go back to the partnerships and to smallholders. All of these stakeholders need incentives. They need true incentives. They need fair price and other incentives to really change and having meaningful change um, in order for them to not be left out and to be very poor, in order for this regulation to be a success. And we've seen with the EU timber regulation I feel like the EU didn't see it as much as a, of a success. We saw with the FLECT evaluation, which happened before the regulation was passed, it really focused on EUTR implementation and the failures of that. It had around 175 respondents. Most of them were from Europe and it did not focus on voluntary partnership agreement countries. And so what I would say is our partners from those countries feel really not listened to, they feel really left out. And right now, because of leakage, they're looking at other markets. So I'd really underline the importance of talking to other markets and of thinking about genuine partnership and how to look at incentives to make sure this regulation is a success. Okay, but just just to follow up with Alexandra then, um, what would be your kind of three top asks then to EU policymakers to make this partnership with producing countries better? Mm -hmm. 
right now, a lot of voluntary partnership agreement countries feel like they don't have genuine partnership with the EU. That's the feedback I'm getting. They feel that it is top down and that now the EU has moved the goalpost and there's just another regulation. Um, so they would like genuine conversation. They would like to ensure that the strategic framework, which I mentioned, has genuine partnership. It's not here's a partnership and here's cooperation and aid. It's really sitting down and having a discussion. I think that previously the EU has been very fatigued by how long different partnerships have taken. But in order to make things like this a success, you need good governance and good governance takes time. You need the carrot, you need the stick. So the strategic framework is incredibly important. We need to make sure the smallholders, I didn't mention the smallholders, I refrained because Gert's here, but I'm <laughs> extremely passionate about smallholders. There needs to be a risk assessment done um, sooner all of those assessments that are being done now need to be transparent. We need to know which ones are being done because there is duplication of efforts. We're doing our own risk assessments because it's not happening yet. So th that information needs to be shared. Um, and those are two of my main main issues and there needs to be support to smallholders. When we were in our small groups, I was listening, I was in a listening mode and I was hearing all the businesses saying, how are we going to do this? Who are, how are we going to get all of our different suppliers to change? Mm -hmm. And it is a huge question. The onus is with the businesses, but the onus is also with the EU. And when it comes to the partnership, the article 28, we need to make sure there's actual relevant partnership and cooperation and support that is long-term to make this a success. Otherwise, they'll be left out of the supply chain, they'll turn to other markets, and they'll get a, a way less of a profit for their goods. They're going to send it to other markets where they're going to um, not be able to support their incomes and they may be pushed into poverty. And so this is some of the concerns that our, our partners have. I appreciate everything that has been said and I agree with it. One of the things that our countries need to do as well is to benefit from carbon trading. We don't know how to. We cannot access. Carbon trading has excluded us completely. And we also are very much aware that there is common but differentiated responsibility in what's happening on the climate. We suffer. I come from a small island. We suffer a lot. Droughts. My country is on a huge drought now. And we have little industry, in fact. And we're suffering. So we do want to help. One of the things that we are uncomfortable with in the deforestation regulation is the unilateral classification of countries between high risk, medium risk, and low risk. I thought at least that part could have been discussed with us. Because, and, and I do believe uh, that, that uh, we have to have a bigger discussion. And please look that it's not only deforestation, it's corporate social due diligence, CBAM and then uh, pesticide regulation, nicotine level regulation, it's a lot of things at the same time for countries that are struggling to follow. So we do need really uh, the carrot and the stick approach. I would like to end up talking about partnerships. I love proverbs and I love African proverbs. So if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So that's nicely what I want to said, say. Nicely said. Um, Gert, would you like to add anything on smallholders before we pass over to Aurelie to comment on everything? Well, if Alexandra says something about smallholders, I can say something about uh, VPAs. Um, <laughs> I think one of the good aspects of v VPAs, and, and, and I think we all know that the experience has been mixed, but I think one of the good aspects has been that it 
did create uh, involvement of stakeholders in a lot of countries. And I think that is missing in the EUDR. Uh, a lot of producing countries and also a lot of uh, farmers, farmers' organizations and trade organizations feel it's just thrown over the fence to them. And they don't feel that they have really been involved in the thinking around it. And in some countries where deforestation really has been reduced, like in Indonesia and Malaysia, the, the deforestation for palm oil production has been reduced by 90%. Mm. And there is still a lot going wrong there, also in social aspects, etc. But they have done a good job there. And they just feel that they are not being recognized for that. And, and I think what they have done over the last 10 years could have been an excellent starting point for the further cooperation and say, okay, you've done this, now let's continue and take out the other 10% and work on that together. And I think the, the, the possibility is still there. There are starting points, I think, in the cocoa talks. Maybe we should add also uh, palm oil talks or coffee talks or wood talks, but ensure that there is a good... Uh, a way of cooperating with governments and with stakeholders in the producing countries to ensure that they feel part of what we are working on. And I think, in the end, that is the main thing that we need to do to avoid leakage. Because, yeah, let's face it, it will take some time before we have convinced China. Um, and and uh, the US, I think, there... There are good developments there, and, and I hope that they will set up a system that is comparable. But I think the most effective thing that we can do to really reduce deforestation is work on the ground with stakeholders in producing countries to change the system. And I think their partnerships are key. I think that what you're saying here sounds like a series of um, relationships rather than a true partnership. But over to you, Aurelie. We'll let Aurelie um, just sort of wrap up everyone's thoughts and then we will open up to the floor for a few questions. So please go ahead. Yeah. No, so um, first, of course, I hear what you say and uh, I agree that um, there's a lot of challenges in everything what we've been doing under, of course, this commission, but also because this world is, is very complex and there's a lot of competing priorities. Huh? We could have talked about education, about health, about digitalization. So, of course, forests touch upon a lot of those issues as well. So we don't have all the solutions. Huh? And uh, it's true that we need to work together to make this happen in the best way for nature and people, as we mentioned. We've, uh, we've learned from the VPA experience and as you know, as DG INPA, we are big supporter of the VPAs, but you also know that some of the P VPAs have been negotiated for 20 years and they are not moving very fast. So it's also um, questions of willingness from both sides. There's some countries that uh, are engaged in this process, but where things are really not moving. So. Uh, ownership is a key dimension. Uh, good government is, of course, another one. So very um, happy to hear from you that you, you want to engage uh, in this partnership with us and, of course, with the broader community of our member states and other stakeholders. Happy to, to hear those words about uh, uh, dialogues and, and, um, and cooperation and partnerships. This is something we want to work on. Um, on, on the more specific issues of, um, of course, EU bringing all those regulations on the table, of course, sometimes we've been accused of being too 
protectionist and um, being accused of putting too much regulations on the table. Uh, but again, this is a key moment in history where we don't have much time to wait before taking uh, tough decisions on climate change and biodiversity, as was I was with all your colleagues in Montreal for the adoption of the Global Biodiversity Framework. That was a landmark historic agreement, and I guess we can also be proud of that. And we will have also a lot of programs with colleagues from the ACP regions to support implementation. And of course, the interlinkages between biodiversity and forest is key. Huh? So this all goes together. So again, um, I don't have all the responses, but I really much hear what you said about the partnership and so happy to, to continue this go good cooperation. I'm happy to get feedback from you as well huh? on, on what you believe and how you we can make this happen. I was in Peru uh, in, in November and uh, visited our programs uh, working on coffee and cocoa there and presented uh, the a brief overview of the EUDR in a meeting with uh, something like 80 people from the coffee and cocoa sector in Peru and asked them, well, what do you think, what the consequences will be and what we need to do on that? And, and one thing I remember very well was that the, the chairman of the exporter organization of cocoa said, well, we export around 50% of our cocoa from Peru to Europe. The other 50% is going to China, Asia, other countries. And what I'm really afraid of, uh, he said, is that the cocoa that is being produced in the eastern part of Peru, the Amazon area, where are the most vulnerable cocoa smallholders with a low income, that part will be exported to China at a lower price, and that the cocoa from, let's say, the lower part of Peru will go to Europe at a bit higher price. And he said, that is exactly what should not happen, because if we really want to reduce deforestation, we should work with those farmers in the Amazon area ensure that their cooperatives are being better organized, that they are supported to meet the requirements, uh, and that we work with them in improving their income and reducing deforestation. So what he said, what Europe needs to do is work with us and see that we together engage with those farmers in, uh, in the Amazon area, in the cocoa regions there. And I think that's the key thing. I, I wanted to add that once this regulation is enforced once it gets published. It's also not only on the businesses, but also on the EU to go to different countries within their EU delegations and talk about this with everyone and get feedback. Um, and the other way we've t we've looked at how to get more funds for smallholders. There's been a whole a lot of brainstorming in the smallholder coalition. We're both part of a coalition who's thought about this. But one of the things that we had suggested that didn't make it into the regulation was that when a competent authority in an EU member state finds you know, a company and gets that money back, that, that that money should go to smallholders. That money should go to the people who are struggling to, to change so that they can make the adjustments and they're not left out of the EU. There's so many different ways to divert funds and figure out how um, to ensure that they're not left out and they're not just encouraged into, into a different market and further further gone into poverty. But I just wanted to add those two points. What you said about uh, Peru and, uh, and, and cocoa, I saw it in coffee in Uganda, in which the border zones uh, that have Sudan and uh, DRC 
which you might have slave labor or child labor because they cannot control it, could be excluded from selling. So you're going to be the poorest of the poor are the ones are going to suffer the most. So yes, it's quite challenging, but together we'll strive. Let's all congratulate the panelists because we're going to have to leave it there for this panel. Thank you, of course, to the panelists and thank you to everyone who has attended. I think, safe to say, it's been a brilliant event, no? <laughs> and finally, over to Kim, then the DG at FSC for his closing remarks. Thank you so much, guys. We now are in a situation where the EUDR is real, it's happening, it's a game changer for business, for all sorts of other things, and we're only going to make it a success if we're all together in making it so. So I think this initiative and the picture is actually a very good illustration of that. That is exactly what we need to do. We started out with looking at challenges related to geolocation in terms of how can we do it and how can we make sure that smallholders can also be part of the picture and all of that. How can we make sure that it's not only about the geolocation but also about making sure that we have the data clarity in terms of what is it that then travels through the chains. Finding where something comes from may not be the most difficult thing, but finding out that what comes from that place is the same or is mixed with other things that come from other places that we have also identified is a big challenge. And message, we can only solve this if we try to solve it together. We have many tools that will help us. We heard from, from Earth Observation, people working on these issues. We heard from other providers of data that can help us. But again, we need to work together to make this happen. That is it. And with that wrap up from Kim Carstensen, our CEO, we also wrap up this last episode on EUDR based on the Would You Find It event in Brussels. Let's hope that all of the wishes from our panel come true that we will be able to create true meaningful partnerships with smallholders, communities, developing states, and the organizations supporting them, so that the EUDR will have the positive effect that it is intended to have, and so that it does not result in products being sold to countries and market with fewer demands about traceability and responsible management of our resources and forests. Remember to subscribe to Forest of the Future if you want to get notified of new episodes where we dive into other innovations within FSC and the world of certification and sustainable forest management. You can also always get in touch with me on podcast at fsc.org. I'm Laura Worm, and this was Forest for the Future.